Hello, and welcome to this health and wellbeing podcast created especially for all primary care staff in Greater Manchester. This is an exciting companion to the new primary care excellence work, focusing on supporting a culture of health and wellbeing for all our staff. I'm Lynn Marsland the GMGP Board Support for HR, and I'm delighted to introduce you to some fantastic guests exploring a range of health and wellbeing topics. In today's episode, we're talking about leadership. Whatever your role in the NHS, you'll have a leader, and in many cases, you'll be one too. Leaders can play a huge role in supporting our health and wellbeing. And if you're a new leader, it can be a challenging role to navigate. So with the help of my guest, we've come up with five top tips for you. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Dr. Becky Pierce, who is the Advancing Quality Programme Manager with Aqua. Thank you so much for joining us today, Becky, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Over the past year, it's become increasingly apparent how our health and well-being at work can affect our whole approach to life and our ability to cope in challenging situations. As a new manager, was this obvious to you as a responsibility right from the start? I think so, absolutely, because as a new manager, you tend to have a think about, well, as an employee... What are my expectations? What kind of environment do I want to work in? What are the questions that I would like to be asked by a manager? And I think you also think about the types of managers that you've had previously and how they were with you and what you've learned from them. So I think certainly trying to understand members of your team and what their needs are. We're all different. So well-being, what it feels to, to feel well is very different to different people and they need different environments to be able to work in and thrive. And I think within health and care, there are so many different types of roles. You know, a lot of us are sort of working remotely. I know most of my organisation have been working from home uh, since the pandemic started. And so they'll have very different needs to perhaps people who are out working in the community, working in isolation. I think there's much more of a blurred line between home life and bringing your whole self to work. And there are some very practical ways in which I think one of the issues with well-being is we talk a lot about it. We have all these toolkits and all these different apps and all these things that are available and helplines and and stuff. But actually, it's getting down to the nitty gritty of what are the practical ways that we can do this. And I think certainly creating that environment, role modelling. So I, th- I think what the, the question that's springing to mind now for me, Becky, is have you experienced good management and leadership support in the past for your own health and well-being? Yeah, I have. Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout my whole career, I've been really fortunate to have strong leaders, but I feel like I've been very understood in terms of my own personality and what I need to thrive in my role. I'm the type of person who likes to get out there, like to meet people, like to collaborate, I like to get stuck in, find new challenges. And that's quite risky for for some people. It's not for everyone. And so by having managers that understand that and understand that that's where 
I can thrive. They kind of take a bit of a hands-off approach and enable that, but they are confident that if I am stuck and I need to ask questions or I'm, you know, maybe working on a new project that I'm less familiar with, that I will ask questions because it's finding that balance, isn't it? As a manager, you want to identify and mitigate against risk and you want to be able to know that your employees are going to come forward and ask questions. So it's finding that balance, really. And I think, again, it comes back to relationships, understanding who you're working with, understanding their their skills and expertise, uh, but also understanding their areas for development as perceived by them, as well as as perceived by yourself. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to what we said at the very start, then you've experienced recently coming into a role as a new leader and having to really focus on getting to know your team and their own requirements. And we talked about having five top tips Mm -hmm. uh, to help new leaders. So do you want to take us through that? Absolutely. Yeah. So just to sort of lead into it and throughout the pandemic, I've actually been on two separate secondments, once on a national team um, and once on a more sort of local integrated care system team both very much to do with covid and sort of creating new structures and services and so i've sort of been navigating those spaces with new people new projects in addition to my own organization which has gone through quite a transformation when it comes to digitalization working virtually you know we've recently procured a virtual learning environment which is a huge piece of work that i've been involved in as well so it's been an interesting sort of complex space to navigate But to start us off, really, one of the first things, and I think this comes from the secondments that I've been involved in, is not to be afraid to ask questions. We all have our expertise and I've myself personally, I've I've done fair few sort of qualifications and I feel like I've got a good understanding of my area in quality improvement. But then I can be thrown into a meeting with new people talking about maybe a new service and suddenly you feel like you don't know anything. And so if you do, can't you, you can't really put on this front of, I'll just pretend. You've got to ask questions if you don't know. I think it's really, really invaluable to do that because the assumption is made that someone else knows more, someone else has the answer. The way that we're doing it is the right way to do it and I'll just go along. And I think that's where you get into that sort of group think where you're agreeing with what's happening without necessarily adding that challenge And I think you just almost need to take it a bit on the chin that sometimes you will ask a question of what does that acronym mean? And everyone will kind of go, she doesn't know that. But at the end of the day, quite often people don't know. We have so many communities of practice and different ways of speaking, acronyms within health and care, that sometimes it's it's refreshing for someone new to come along and ask those silly questions because you'll get to the right outcomes ultimately and you'll really kind of reduce risk with whatever that project is trying to do. It's getting those those silly questions out of the way. I think that's a, a really important point because uh, um, over the last two years and going forward in primary care, there's a whole range of new roles being introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, paramedics, mental health workers. Mm-hmm. So I think those people joining a team, it's for the leaders around them to understand that it, it isn't just a straightforward as taking your practice Mm -hmm. and delivering it in a new environment, there are all of these things Mm -hmm. that they will need to understand and be helped to understand to enable them to function well from a health and wellbeing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And it's understanding how will we work together 
there's almost, like you say, hybrids of lots of different types of roles and in different contexts, they're working very differently as well. So shall we move on to your second of your five points then? Yeah, absolutely. So the second one is thinking about creating new processes in that it's very messy and in an imperfect system. I think we sometimes get our Prince 2 hat on and think that projects are this linear step-by-step process where we get all the right stakeholders involved um, and we agree what we're trying to do and then we start to take steps to actually get to where we need to be. But actually, something within my own organisation, I mentioned previously procuring a virtual learning environment within Aqua and sort of digitalising our ways of working. And I know that people across the whole of health and care, they'll be using things like Teams and Zoom and all kinds of technologies, which they may never have used before the pandemic. Um, So it's a really important transition. And what we found was the key really was to just embrace that messiness. We didn't know what we wanted. So, yeah, it's just really just embracing the complexity, making sure that you're involving all of the right people and being willing to experiment, being willing to test things. And if it's working, brilliant. If it's not, change it. But being innovative in your approach and being really bold in your approach. Thanks. And point three? Point three, so um, displaying personal vulnerability, it positively changes team dynamic. So if you can role model that you don't have all the answers, you do have questions, there are things that are beyond your gift of expertise to do. Actually, what that does is that welcomes other people to, to step in. Um, and it doesn't matter what band they are. It doesn't matter what role they are. We all have some fantastic experiences and expertise that we can bring from previous roles as well. It might even be in a completely different sector where someone happened to be a graphic designer or someone happened to be working something really creative, that they can then bring that into the work that, that you're doing now. And it's just thinking about people more holistically and asking those questions and trying to understand the areas where people thrive, really. And I think it's just being frank and open and honest about that. And people are actually really accepting of it. That's the beauty, isn't it, of multidisciplinary team working. We don't all have to know everything. But as long as we're up front about what we do and don't know, then actually we can do some fantastic work together. So I think the key point that I've just taken from what you were saying there, Becky, is it's not being the expert in every discussion, be it a patient-focused discussion or a more general discussion that we're having in these new multidisciplinary teams in primary care. It's about being able to facilitate the discussion, not take ownership for the, for the answers. Yeah, I think that comes back to um, really positive role modelling. You don't always have to know everything. You don't always have to be in charge and in control. It's okay to not be. Um, And you might be a very confident person where that's your natural place is to actually feel like you're, you're in charge of what's happening. But actually, I think it makes you quite humble, the amount of knowledge and expertise within health and care. You see people and they're speaking and you think, oh, wow, that's a whole new area or a whole new world of knowledge that I really know very little about. And I think it helps other new leaders to, it elevates them for you to sort of take a step back, listen to what they've got to say, support them and and acknowledge they know a lot more about that than I do. It's something that I say to my team all the time. 
you are the experts in this. I'm going to absolutely do what I can to get up to speed in certain areas um, and to bring to the table the skills that I think I can offer. But each person within the team I work in, they've all got absolute expertise in, in slightly different things. And it works really well because we know what our strengths are and we tend to take pieces of work and different projects that we can really excel at. So it's not from a health and well-being perspective, it's not putting yourself under pressure to know everything. Yeah. Learn from others and facilitate others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes just acknowledging that the stuff you don't need to know. So I guess it's just acknowledging, isn't it, where your strengths are, what's needed within the team in order to function. So I think it's that, just the more open and honest you are, I think the more you can take risks, take chances and be exposed to what might be perceived as a scary situation... When you've got the net of your team, you can do more, I think. And and I think putting myself in the position of some frontline staff within primary care, where potentially a patient wants a clinical answer that isn't in my expertise, mm-hmm. me understanding that my expertise is being able to deal with patients, to support them, to guide them to the right part of the process. Yeah. That's what I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. And let somebody else deal with the, with the more technical elements and not put myself under pressure yeah. to try and address everything. Yeah. So point four. So point four. Um, so a, a lot of these really are around being yourself, acknowledging the messiness, asking questions. Uh, point four is very much around speaking up when it feels impossible to do so. We talk a lot about uh, freedom to speak up. I'm a freedom to speak up champion. You know, I've worked with some fantastic freedom to speak up guardians that I know are absolutely embedded across uh, health and care. And it takes a lot of courage and confidence to do that. And it's almost like when we're in that situation, it's like all the lights are on us and you know, and your heart starts beating and you know you should be asking a question or you know you should be calling out bad behaviour but it almost feels impossible to do so. And I've been in that situation and it's awful. So in one particular example, I was on uh, the first secondment that I had done right at the start of the pandemic uh, when the first lockdown started. And it was quite a challenging environment. You know, it was a team of about 30 people, like we discussed before, multidisciplinary, lots of different backgrounds, hierarchically, lots of differences in terms of the structure. And there was an individual whereby their behaviour was, it was quite poor behaviour in terms of their leadership. Little things like that built up over time, like uh, ignoring, rolling eyes, walking off. Then the walking off turned into storming off um, and then it just escalated and became more and more. It was almost testing the barriers. But the issue was that that person was quite a senior member of staff when it came to sort of building that team of people. So it's really, really challenging, really difficult because you've been asked to join this team. You want to make it a success. You know what needs to happen in order to create an environment for effective team working. And yet the person who's intended to help you to create that is actually the problem. And I think that's one of those scenarios where you're almost in a bit of an impossible situation. You speak up and then it can potentially become about you and actually will know you're the problem because the person who's hierarchically more senior than you, it would be quite easy for them to to create that narrative. I think the fortunate thing was that there were multiple people who had actually made complaints 
And I was just so grateful that they had because that that certainly made it easier. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes you can be in a scenario um, where it's just yourself who's seen this behaviour and and need to speak up. So I did speak up. You know, I I sort of spoke to the director. I made it known. I was quite clear that, you know, this behaviour is inappropriate. It's not acceptable. Yes, I know everyone's a bit stressed um, or very stressed and we might not be behaving in our normal way. But that isn't an excuse for some of the treatment that this person has certainly treated myself, but also other people as well. So I did speak up, but I feel as though upon reflection, I didn't speak up loud enough. I didn't do enough because I had decided actually after a period of time to remove myself from the situation because it became so stressful. And, you know, we talked quite extensively about health and well-being that it was actually affecting me eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was really quite the height of stress, probably the most stress I've ever experienced. As a result of that, I actually ended the secondment early um, and that was the right thing to do for me. It's not the best thing for the team or ultimately for, for, for patients, you know, when you've got someone who can't perform at their best because they're just not in a safe environment. It's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds when potentially your reputation is the thing which is, uh, you know, potentially on the line as a bit of a trouble causer. But my advice, I guess, from that and having been through that scenario is I would do the same thing again. I'd probably just be a bit louder and I'd probably almost accept the consequences but walk away from it knowing that I did the right thing. And and talking about people's health and well-being, it's so sad sometimes when we see that the the person ultimately leaves the organisation because they haven't had the confidence or felt supported sufficiently to speak up about a situation that was severely damaging their health and well-being. So from a new manager's perspective, it's about, I would say, watching people's behaviour. Do their behaviour change? Do they become quieter? Do they become more vocal? And if they're changing, what's going on? Is it something at work? So let's just talk about your final point then, Becky. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this probably underpins all of the other things that we've talked about. And so my final point is, no matter what, be yourself. Because there's only one you, and you're unique, and people bring such fantastic skills and personality into teams. I think where we become a little bit unstuck is when we try to fit into a group or a service or whatever it is and we're so keen to give a certain perception of ourselves that we might have all the answers or you know we're absolutely expert in this area no matter what and I think going back to what we discussed earlier um, you can't know everything you don't need to know everything and so being yourself and being absolutely upfront and honest about who you are and I think Within your teams, you know, just day to day working, you know, we might have a really loud person. I'm quite loud. You might have really quiet people who actually just prefer less contact or less social interaction. People need more or less support. And I think it's recognising what your assets are as an individual and recognising that about yourself so you know what your needs are as well, so you can communicate those needs. But also recognising as a manager people within your team there's different attributes and things that we can all bring. We talked about sort of strong managers previously, and I think one of the things that has always stuck to me, uh, stuck with me, 
is um, several roles ago, I used to work in a hospital as a service improvement lead. And I remember uh, my manager at the time, she was applying for the Evan programme. She did the Evan programme. She went on to be you know, a fabulous director, which is great. And she was preparing this activity for the interview for the Evan programme. And, um, you know, I was talking to her about it and I was like, oh, are you nervous? And like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? And she said, at the end of the day, Becky, all I can be is myself. It just came across as something so profound. And I was like, wow, what a fantastic way of looking at it. And, and I've really adopted that that attitude. You know, it doesn't matter what the presentation is or what the meeting is or chairing something in front of 50 people. It doesn't matter because as long as you're yourself, you, you can't really go wrong. And I think that's it's just such an important outlook. So I'm going to summarise that from the perspective of a new leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's twofold. One, just being yourself. Mm -hmm. And two, enabling the people working with you to be themselves. Absolutely, yeah. If everyone can just be themselves and be respected and be working within that environment where they feel accepted, then I think teams across the whole of health and care would be much happier, they'd be much healthier and well-being would be, uh, would be much better. So thank you so much for bringing yourself to our discussion today, Becky. Thank you for having me. For more information about the Primary Care Excellence Project, head to the link on the series page. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, there's an email address on there too. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to this series via your favourite podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And remember to tell your colleagues so they don't miss it either. This is a Fresh Air production. Look forward to speaking to you soon.